I mean, I'm writing this stuff down. That... I'm writing this stuff down for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Benny's fault that the the, the ball, it, the, the valuable Yankees signed baseball is is, is in the beast grasp. <laughs> but he's sacrificing himself for the sins of Smalls. I mean, wow. we are Smalls, and Benny is Jesus. <sighs> it's just got real here. It's just got real. Welcome to Fun Sexy Bible Time. My name is Matthew and I am the host and with me today is a very special guest. His name is John Quitt. He is the pastor of the Tuscaloosa Vineyard in Tuscaloosa, Alabama and he is also the author of the book, We Are All Heroes in Our Own Story. John, say hey to the people for me. Hey, how are you? John is one of my favorite people. Um, I was a member of his church for a little while when we lived in Tuscaloosa and he graciously agreed to come on the podcast with me. I'm probably going to have him on again in a few months when his book actually comes out. Um, but John, tell us a little bit about the book. Um, give, give us kind of a, a brief description of, of what it is and what you've been working on. Yeah, it's, it's entitled We're All Heroes in Our Own Story, which it turns out is a, is a terrible, terrible title. And the book's about humility, um, which means about eight people are going to buy it. This idea that we're we're constantly, no matter what scenario, what conversation we're in, um, we're either paying ourselves as the hero of the conversation or the victim, and w- one way or the other, we're the center of it. And um, the idea is, if we can just get out of the way, let Jesus be the center of our story, then um, then life will um, life will work out in, in a way that really honors God, honors um, the people around us. Um, so I think it's gonna, I, I, you know, I think the eight people that read it, I think they're gonna, it's gonna be helpful. But um, other than that, uh, <laughs> I'm just grateful that to get it out there. Well, your initial title for the book was "Your Best Life Now." <laughs> it, it turns out somebody else took that. I was really angry, uh, but but uh, you know, I, I can only do what I can do. <laughs> hey, you, you got to be you. Yeah, exactly. You gotta, exactly. You got to do you. All right, can we do some shout-outs to get this to get this party started today? I need to do a shout out to a listener of Fun Sexy Bible Time. We always try to shout out random listeners to Fun Sexy Bible Time when they tweet us at the official Twitter account. That's at FS Bible Time. Give me a shout out to Jake Fenton. How you doing, Jake? Thanks for listening. He tweeted out something nice about the podcast. And listen, cheap flattery will get you everywhere. And for Jake Fenton, it gets you announced on air at Fun Sexy Bible Time. John, you got a shout out for me? Do you want me to shout? Do you just want me to oh, shout listen, out random names? Listen, just shout out anybody you feel like shouting out. This this is your this is your world today. Okay, Amy, I, I, awesome. Uh, my wife Amy, um, who I will force to listen to this podcast, who she's going to be a faithful listener from now on. I promise that. Um, I'll shout out Amy Sims, who is on staff with us at Vineyard. Uh, Valentino Amati, who is a big fan of your work. Um, uh, you know Joel Osteen, who I, I I heard is a big fan of yours. I know he's been in in uh, in some of some of your podcasts or some of your posts, <laughs> and so he's a he's and John MacArthur. He he in particular he loves your work. Johnny Mac, it. how you doing, yeah, Johnny exactly. Mac? Exactly. Yeah, uh, I tweeted him when the uh, when the podcast launched. I tweeted him an invitation to come on the podcast. I'm just going to break it to you. 
I don't think it's going to happen. He's really busy, though. He's really busy. Um, but uh, he, in a personal conversation I had with him recently, he he said um, he really enjoys the podcast. It, it's uh, it's it's not. He's actually going to write a new book um, in kind of in response to sexy Christians. Um, so it's something about sexy Christians being on fire. I something about that. Yes. Uh, will he address what we talked about in our last, last podcast about angel wieners? Uh, I hope so. I, cause I, I'm excited about, about his response to that. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Hey, random shout out. out to the, uh, to the person I made angry on Facebook. They <laughs> left me like a long, hateful message on Facebook. Um, shout out to yeah. you, buddy. All, all press is good press. I think. <laughs> uh, I'm just I'm just shocked that I did a uh, a bunch of jokes about Baptists and uh, they didn't didn't go over so well. <laughs> that's, I, that's not like the Baptists to not be able to take a joke. Exactly. I think J.D. Greer though. I think he would like your podcast. I mean, since it's sort of a, around that idea, I think he would like your podcast. He's got a good sense of humor. Yeah. I, well, maybe I'll have to tweet him next and see if he wants to come on and talk about uh, Angel Wieners and absolutely Song of Solomon and. Absolutely. I think we talked about uh, ideas for like a homeschool strip club <laughs> on, on last on the last podcast. We decided that the uh, the name of it would be Fundamental Fundamentalism, and like the, the F U N would be all caps. So it's like kind of kind of stylish. I love that idea. I love that. Yeah, you, you and, and you don't actually put money in their g strings. You just you put you know detention slips um <laughs> well nobody's actually getting naked at a homeschool strip club it's just the uh the performers come out on stage and they just read like history books into a microphone oh that is really pretty hot so mm-hmm. I, i'm i'm interested you, you got to speak the language of the homeschooler john sorry about that sorry i i only homeschooled my kids for six months and uh it was it was too much too much <laughs> Okay, speaking of homeschooling, let's get right down to the important stuff. Uh, tradition on Fun Sexy Bible Time is we talk about fighting animals. And specifically, what animals you think you could defeat in hand-to-hand combat if you were attacked. So what I have to throw on you today, John, this is an unusual animal. I want you to think about this. Okay. Could you defeat an alligator in hand-to-hand combat? If you were attacked, not not you're just running around looking for an alligator to fight, but if you were attacked by an alligator, could you defeat it in hand to hand combat? Now, is there a particular size of an alligator, or just a just random? I mean, I, I need I need some parameters. I don't I don't think we've got like the huge alligators in Alabama. I mean, I think we've got like some like every once in a while you'll see on the news like one was spotted somewhere in Alabama, but it's always like a medium sized one. So, so like six feet or under? Yeah, I mean, yeah, about six feet or so. Okay, I, you know, I feel like, I feel like ultimately, I mean, I just want to be, I want to be upfront. Um, I, I feel, I feel like ultimately he would win. John, don't, don't do this. We have, we have faith in you. Listen, my book's on humility. I, I need to, I need to model that for your listeners. Um, okay. So I think ultimately he, he would best me, but I'm scrappy, and so I feel like I, I would, it would be a, it would be a good fight. How if much- I had a partner, though, I, I feel like I might, might be able to, you know, beat him. First of all, how much dad power do you have presently? Dad power? Yeah. How many kids do you have and how old are you? Let's calculate your dad power. Okay, I'm 41 okay. and I've got a 15-year-old and a 13-year-old. 
And so uh, I, I don't have much dad power. But one of those is a, is a daughter in her teenage years. You have a teenage daughter, though, don't you? I mean, she could shame him. I mean, is that, I mean no, in terms that of all girls, your, they have shame power. That increases your dad power if you have a teenage daughter. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. So I could throw one of the kids in the water to distract the alligator. <laughs> no, you're that, thinking about this all wrong. Like what? Like what if you? What if like the alligator was attacking you and your kids, but your kids couldn't fight, and it was it was up to you to defeat the alligator to protect your family? Like, don't you feel like you'd get an infusion of dad power? I, I mean, yeah. I moment? guess I guess I could. Um, I, just secretly, I'm scared of alligators. I didn't. I didn't want to tell you that. Um, I grew up in South Florida, where the Everglades are, and so we were trained to be terrified of those two eyes peeking out of the water. So, I, I mean, just even talking about it, I'm, I'm getting. Don't joke. I'm, I'm getting a little sweaty talking about alligators. So uh, I've kind of got the same feelings about Methodists, to be honest. With you. <laughs> two eyes peeking out of the the. Well, they don't have a baptismal, so uh, yeah, just peeking up like over like the the edge of their hymnal. Like, yeah, absolutely. Just looking at you, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, what is your, like? What is your what is your go to move? Like when an alligator clamps down on your leg, like what are you what are you gonna do in that moment? Yeah. I mean, are you looking for a wrestling move? I mean, I, mean, I, I am a WWF generation, so are you gonna stay uh, upright? Are you? I mean, are you going to ground? Are you gonna claw the eyes? Are you gonna just start punching? Like, what's? What, what's, I'm what? going for the eyes, but at the same time, I'm gonna scream uh, <laughs> like a like a. 13 year old girl um and then i'll probably grab something to, to, to hit it you know um mm-hmm. i'm gonna try to stay away from the mouth maybe i you know the, the thing is when when I, I did get beat up in high school you know the, the key move is to go for the crotch and so <laughs> i don't know where the crotch is for the for the alligator because yeah. i don't i don't know do they have i'm assuming i mean obviously they're male and female alligators so i just don't know where the crotch is for the alligator so well, that I, I if guess... i knew where the crotch was um you know, I would go there. Listen, this why this is why fun, sexy Bible time is is better than every other podcast because we're talking about punching alligators in the nards. <laughs> or, I, I mean, I guess if it's a female, you could just try to punch it in the alligator ovaries. But here, here's the problem. I don't, I don't know. You know, if you, did you ever watch Star Trek: The Next Generation? You know, sometimes yeah. they would they would find they would see an alien or meet an alien, and then they would get in, in a fight, and they would try to hit it in the traditional crotch area. But it turns out. That was not the crotch. It turns out their crotch was under their arm, right? Yeah. And so I just don't know if alligators, they are that species where the crotch is not where the crotch is. You know what I mean? Yeah, I hear you. Okay, say there's two alligators. It's a, it's a, it's a tag team match. Jeez. Wow, okay. Two alligators, and if you could – two alligators are attacking you. If you had to pick one – celebrity pastor or theologian or Christian author or whatnot, who would you pick? Like if you had to pick one person that could help you fight the alligators, who would it be? I mean, Mark Driscoll. I mean, <laughs> I, I, just, I, I feel like he's got the, the man skills. Um, and I've, I've never seen him in a, in an alligator pit, but I, I feel like, uh, I feel like he'd do well. I mean, he's, he's, really he's got the, he's got the bravado to, to make it happen. He's really short. Is he really? Yeah, I think he's. I think he's like. I think he's like five five or something. So he's got a kind of a Napoleon thing going. He's, he's, okay, he's quite stubby, as it were. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I mean, I don't know his height exactly, but I do know he's fairly short. I was wondering why all the videos of him are pointing up. <laughs> I mean, it's sort of a Tom Cruise video effect. Um, that makes a lot of sense now. 
Uh, you know, Mark Driscoll, I think, would be a good fit. Um, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe a John Piper. I, I like oh, John dude, Piper. That guy's going to get eaten so fast. I, <laughs> well, I was thinking maybe he, he could talk about penal substitutionary atonement for long enough where the alligator would go to sleep. <laughs> that, that, so <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a behind-the-door the trick. So You know, I mean... <sighs> Shane Claiborne, like I feel like he'd get eaten pretty quick. Oh, absolutely! All those birds. Well, the, the alligator would choke on his hair, though, and so that um, would be the way he would get beaten. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm going back to Franklin Graham. Like I just feel like Franklin Graham has probably yeah. wrestled an alligator at some point. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I absolutely. feel like he he'd be a useful. Well, especially if you told Franklin Graham the alligator was a member of ISIS. Or, or, <laughs> it's, a, it's a Muslim alligator, Franklin. Yeah, exactly. Get, in, get exactly. in there. Listen, that alligator is trying to steal our rights. I think he would, he would go right. He would jump into the water. Would you, would you take Ted Cruz? Defender Gosh. of Christianity, Ted Cruz? I think Ted Cruz's face would, would scare the <laughs> alligator. So I think that's enough. Ted Cruz and Joyce Meyer fighting alligators. <laughs> well, I think after Joyce Meyer got into the kind of the, the the fight, I think the alligator would feel really good about himself, and he would step out of the fight. And then donate all of his money so she could buy $20,000 commodes? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, what do you think Osteen would do against an alligator? Oh man! I, well, I think he'd tell the alligator he didn't have to stay as an alligator. <laughs> that he has choices. That he could, if he wanted to move up the chain, uh, he could become a crocodile. I mean, crocodiles have much more uh, their 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 uh, their ability to to influence the world for good. Uh, you know, uh, or you know, he could just completely jump the gene pool and become a person if he wanted to. I mean, with the power of Joel Osteen. Hey, he's deceptively buff. I, I don't know how much of that is like just gym strength, but he, he's he's deceptively buff, Joel Osteen. Are you? I, I can't, I'm getting a. Are you talking about that Joel Osteen's really good looking? No, like he's deceptively muscular. Okay, I, I saw a picture of him one time on the beach, and he's I mean, he's fairly ripped. Is he really? Yeah, but like, I mean, like, I don't know how much. I mean, because you know, it's guys like that where they it's just gym strength and like. They're not especially tough, but then you got guys that you know maybe are not super cut, but you know they're going to be more useful in a fight. They're like blue collar strong. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how much blue collar strength Joel Osteen has. Yeah, I, I can't imagine he's he's you know doing doing a lot of heavy lifting. I don't think he's fixing his own car. <laughs> no, probably not. Probably not. All right, let's talk about let's talk about missions trips. Mm. You're the uh, pastor of a church. Been on mission trips before. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the worst possible missions trips you could ever imagine. That's a hard. That's a hard. Uh, that's a hard question. I mean, I've been on personally some really, really uh, bad mission trips. I, I remember when I was a youth pastor. I mean, years ago, we took. We took a, a trip under the auspice of going to help uh, the poor in Jamaica, and Jamaica really is like third world outside of some of the ports. But we 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 rented a yacht, and we took the yacht over to Jamaica, 
and spent like two hours a day in Jamaica, and then we spent like twelve hours on the yacht. Um, so that was, I mean, that's kind of a bad idea. Um, I don't know. It was a great trip, though. I loved it. I mean, we we were really impacted. <laughs> So what would be, like, the worst place you could send a mission? So like, what the most ridiculous, unnecessary place to send, like... And sort of the template for this is we were talking about, like, Franklin, Tennessee, or Brentwood, Tennessee. Like, that would yeah. be, like, the most wasteful place to send a mission. Absolutely. Group. You know, I think to send, a, you know, a missions team that are that's really cares about the poor, really cares about the homeless to, like, Franklin or Brentwood... <laughs> Where everybody's homes are like eight million dollars, and ninety nine percent of the the people in those in that, which is true, like ninety five percent of the people in Franklin go to church, and so I, I just I don't I think that would be a wasted. Though I know that's what happens. I mean, there there are missions teams that head to those places because well, I don't know why they go there, but it seems like a terrible waste of church resources. What about a, what about a missions trip to a college campus to protect people's safe spaces? Wait a minute. I think that's really important. I mean, people are really, really, they need their safe space, don't you think? We're going to send a missions trip to Berkeley. We're going to send a missions team to Berkeley or to Yale or, or somewhere like that. And their whole goal is just to protect people from getting triggered. Absolutely. It, it, it actually reminds me of the, the, did you see the movie Dave? You remember Dave? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sigourney Weaver and, you know, Dave gets in office and, you know, is taking over for the dead president. It looks just like him. And, and he's cutting the budget. And he's like, so what I hear you saying is we're spending $10 million a year on affirming people's purchase of a car they already have. And the guy was like, yeah. And, and I just I feel like so many of these trips is it's just the affirmation of of something we already know to be true. We're not actually helping anybody. Um, it, it serves zero purpose. Um, but you know, it makes us feel good. It makes us feel good. Like, cause we, you know, we, we got in a car and we drove eight hours and we're like, gosh, listen, you know, that was really hard. Do you, you remember like when we had to stay in the drive through for 18 minutes? Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I now I know what suffering that Paul was talking about. That's, that's the great commission. You know, you do things to make yourself feel good. Exactly. Exactly. I, you know, that's we're sending two teams this summer to. Uh, no, actually, I, I was about to lie. I'm not. Gonna, we're sending two teams to uh, to Honduras and to West Virginia, uh, just for for the sake of uh, the poorest parts of the world. And but listen, we're but, trying to have a funny podcast. I'm here. sorry, Josh. I'm so sorry. You're bringing so actual sorry. missions work into it. How dare you? My bad. My bad. You can cut that out of the podcast. <laughs> so. Could you send a missions trip to a comment section of a YouTube video? <laughs> just witness to people on YouTube. That's, well, I think the guy that, that came on your uh, your Facebook page, <laughs> I think that's what he was doing. He was evangelizing. <laughs> and who doesn't want to be evangelized by a Jack Chick tract carrying independent Baptist? Boy, that was a mouthful. Man, that was. Wow. Oh, a Jack Chick tract carrying independent fundamental Baptist. Are, are the, I didn't know that. Are the trick tracks are they still around <laughs> oh yes oh yes really still blaming catholics and jews for every <laughs> every problem <Wow. laughs> every problem my fa- my favorite when i was waiting tables was the 20 that looked like a 20 oh gosh do you, do you and i when i was waiting tables i would walk out kind of from the corner of my eye from across the room i'd be like wow they they left me a really good tip and then it turns out it was a chick track 
and they didn't leave me any money either. So that was. <clears throat> and you're still awesome. a Christian to this day, despite that. Well, that's how, that's why I believe in predestination because, like, <laughs> I can get saved through the, you know, in spite of that. Like, obviously, God is totally in control. <laughs> yeah, I, hmm. <laughs> I have nothing to add to that. Right. No, that's all right. Okay, so let's talk about the Sandlot. Speaking of Jack Chick tracks. <laughs> That's a good transition. I'm really good at transitions. We're Squint, you know, in the, at the end of the Sandlot, when, Squint, when it says that Squint's married Wendy Peppercorn, it says at the, at the end of the movie, it says they had nine kids. He was virile. <clears throat> well, you got to, I mean, if you do the math on that, he's, he's what, like probably four or five years younger than she is? Yeah. So... I mean, her window of having kids is already shortened by the time he gets up old enough to marry her. And then they had nine kids. I mean, do you think they were like non-birth control homeschoolers? Like, they no, absolutely. Much have to be. I, no, absolutely. I mean, either that or they were, you know, they're traditional Catholics. Um, but I mean, you know, assume he's he's twelve or thirteen. She was seventeen, maybe. Uh, they get married when he turns 18, when he graduates high school. So that puts her at 24, maybe. 24. And then, you know, they could have had a kid every year. Every year. Yeah. Um, she's certainly not going to look the way she looks, though, after nine kids. I, I think that's a, a fair assessment. I don't uh, know. It's Wendy Peffercorn. Let's, let's, yeah. not, let's, let's give yeah. Wendy Peffercorn the benefit of the doubt. That, I mean, you're right. I apologize. She I apologize. is a legendary babe. Yeah, she is. She is. Um I mean, you can see the the romance brewing, though. I mean, pretty pretty early on. So I'm not surprised they got together. Um, but I think they were homeschoolers. I mean, he he's he's kind of a homeschooler uh, kind of look, don't you think? Big glasses, peering through the fence, <laughs> super awkward. Is that yeah? But no same? homeschooler would ever pull off that stunt where he pretends to drown and then kisses her. You don't think so? No, no, no. Like a homeschooler that tried the the squint maneuver would just die right then. Like he would kiss Wendy Peppercorn and then he would die. I don't know. Like I, you're a homeschooler. I mean, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yes. your first book wasn't Homeschool Sex Machine. I yes, mean, I like was homeschool for thirty seven years. <laughs> so no, nowhere in the realm of possibility you would fake a you know a a pool drowning just to get, you know get a, a kiss. Um. No, when when I was uh, when I was like six, I kissed a girl on the playground and blacked out for like twenty minutes. <laughs> so that was kind of a template for future relationships. Right, right. Okay, well, I guess that's I guess that's fair. I, I don't have a lot of experience with homeschoolers. Uh, I just assume like you get desperate enough. I mean, you'll do whatever it takes. Well, you, I mean, you got to beat the rapture. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jesus could come back at any moment. You got, That's I mean, true. That is probably true. not going to be any sex in heaven. So you know, you gotta, you gotta beat the second coming. Absolutely, to experience sex. <laughs> yeah, that was, I think uh, that's a good theological position for you to take. Hey, listen, you don't know how many times I prayed for the Lord to tarry, as it were. <laughs> and I would, uh, I'd like sit in bed at night and like do the math in my head of like, you know, how many more years before I could conceivably experience sanctified sex absolutely so was kendra homeschooled no no she was a a public school heathen wow okay 
So she she had no context for your awkward, you know. No, we had some rough times early on in dating just because I was so clueless. So she's your Wendy Peppercorn, (laughs) as it were. Is that fair to say? I tell her that on a daily basis. (laughs) That's good. That's good. That's I mean, that's that's definitely first base. Hey, you better shout out Amy as your as your Wendy Peppercorn right now. She, man, no doubt, she is my Wendy Peppercorn. Uh, though I, I, frankly, I always confuse Sandlot with um, the movie Stand by Me, just because there were so many similarities. Okay, um, and so when somebody mentions Wendy Peppercorn, I often associate that with with the Stand by Me, and I and, I, and then I'll be like, oh man, I loved it when. You know, because there's two throw-up scenes. There's a throw-up scene in Stand by Me. There's a throw-up scene in in uh, in Sandlot too, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's two really mean junkyard dogs in both movies, well, that right? Is, that is top flight analysis. I never even considered that until you listen. Said that. I, I I'm I, listen. I am a no joke guest. You're on, bringing your A game. I am. And now there there was the the sick balls reference in Stand by Me that was not in Sandlot. Yeah. Um, I feel like that kind of moved Stand By Me up the ratings. It, it, I think it was just a better movie just simply because of the slow motion moment. Um, <laughs> hey, listen, I grew up in a very strict home and like we weren't allowed to watch any PG-13 movies or any of that stuff. And so the slow was motion that moments. Was that, was that, a, was, that was a PG-13 movie? Uh, Sandlot was PG. Okay. So the slow motion moment in Sandlot, I mean, that was probably like 70% of me coming into puberty right there. <laughs> and the other 30% was just repeated readings of Song of Solomon. This is really disturbing. It really is. Yeah. Well, we should probably um, just move on. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so from the Sandlot, you got one of the all-time cool guys in Sandlot, Benny. Oh, yeah. Benny the cool guy. Yep. How does he rank in like the cool guy, like the early '90s cool guy pantheon? Let me throw some names out there, and I'll let you. I'll let you rank them. Okay. Okay. I'm assuming Ralph Macchio and Kirk Cameron is going to be in this mix, correct? <laughs> Kirk Cameron has been left behind. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's not my joke. I, I can't claim that as my own. Well, I thought it was yours, so that's uh, your, no, nah. okay. It's mine. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go Mach, Benny from the Sandlot. Rufio from Hook. Oh wow! And Russ Jr. from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Oh wow! Yeah, underrated cool guy, Russ Jr. That guy yeah. was a man. Has was he anywhere after that? Was that just kind of a one-time? one-time I think he hit had some like bit parts here and there, but I okay. don't know that he's you know. I don't know that really any of those guys have done a whole lot. Like uh, <laughs> Benny from The Sandlot. He might have. I think he was in maybe like one other Disney movie, and then he was done. I think he's like okay. a firefighter right now. You know, I just feel like once you're a teenage heartthrob, it's hard to move on. You know, it's, boy, it's don't kind of I like, know it. it. It's kind of like uh, what's the guy from Saved by the Bell? You know, the really big buff wrestler guy, uh, Slater. Yeah, no. <laughs> yes, yeah, Sl- <laughs> Slater. Yeah, Slater was the wrestler. In Saved I by thought the you were saying Screech. Okay, I was thinking no, Screech, no. but no, Slater. Yeah, like he he can't really ever get out of that. Now he just he he. You know, he was a heartthrob, but then he couldn't get into the movies or any other show. Mm-hmm. I feel like those heartthrobs, like, yeah, they were, they were, Boy, were and, and you, material. you and they I were can attest to this on a personal level. 
Wow. I said, you and I can attest to this on a personal level. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, and I, I'm a little uncomfortable talking about how good looking they were, but I, I mean, they were on, these were, these were posters on most of my friends that were girls' beds, and, or at least on the ceiling. Above well, John, the- I was a homeschooler. I wasn't allowed to go into girls' bedrooms. So uh, I, I don't know well, what kind of heathen upbringing you well, it's, just, it's just what I've heard. Okay. It's just what I've heard and what I saw in Growing Pains. So... <laughs> Um, I, I apologize. I apologize to your listeners. So, who do you rank as like the as like the coolest guy from that area or from that era? Would you say like Rufio or Russ Jr. or Benny or Ralph Macchio? I, I mean, I think Ralph Macchio. He's he's got to. I mean, he had four sequels. Didn't I think he? he was kind of a dick though. I mean, I don't know. Mister Miyagi really kind of kept him humble, don't you think? I think he was kind of I. I don't know. Are you like, saying in the movies or in real life? No, in the movies. I think he was kind of, I think he was kind of a dick in the movies. I don't know. I mean, he he was this kid that that you know. I mean, don't you didn't you did you see Karate Kid one? I mean, yeah. it's it's kind of a coming of age. Like poor kid moves into the apartment complex, gets the hot girl, meets an Asian who gives him a car. I mean, like that is the American <laughs> dream. And I don't know. I just feel like he he stepped into that well. Not like he's he's nowhere to be found now, but um, yeah, I would say he's number one on my list. And then I think I think Rufio. Yeah, I mean, gosh, they they made a they made a you know a drug after him. That's (laughs) that's obviously significant. See, what ruined Ralph Macchio for me was somebody on YouTube did a Karate Kid cut. Where like they recut the film, like where he is the villain in the film, and it was super convincing. Like they did like a film tra- like they recut the trailer to where it was like, you know, Ralph Macchio was the villain coming in and like messing up. Uh, what was the Johnny? Was it Johnny that the yeah Johnny? Came? And that Johnny was actually the hero, and Ralph was just bullying him through the whole movie. Really, it was super convincing. So I can see that. I, I can, mean, I can, I can never watch that movie the same way again. Now, yeah. Because... I mean, I can see if there was like a "Where are they now?" If Karate Kid was a real movie, like uh-huh. I can see, I can see that, that the Karate Kid was probably a bully. Now, yeah. I mean, he's been trained by you know basically a, a Jedi master. He's been to to the homeland he's been trained by you know he's he's fought lots of ninjas like he's he's probably he's part of the, he's probably part of the illuminati now i mean if if i if i had to guess where the character karate kid is he's probably in charge of some kind of karate school that's going to take over the world i mean probably <laughs> yeah i think i got to put um i think i got to put russ junior above him i'm a big russ junior fan from honey i really? kids because that guy was the best. Like he was, uh, you know, he just did a, a lot of really cool things in that movie. Like, like what? Well, like he, like he stood up to his dad, stood up to the football, he, he stood up to the football coach, quit the team, then stood up to his dad and said, "No, I don't want to play football." And then was clearly infatuated with Amy, the next door neighbor. That's true. And then when they get shrunk, he just goes into like, like. I like super cool guy mode and like fights mm. the ant. Like when the ant comes in and like he doesn't defeat the ant, but like he fights the ant to protect everybody. And like his annoying younger brother, like completely reigns him in. And then, uh, like romances Amy, like through his survival skills. 
Because didn't they ride on an ant together eventually? Weren't they? Didn't, they I mean, did. Yeah, they they sort of tamed the ant, and then the uh, I think the ant then like sacrificed himself. Yes, against yeah. the scorpion or something. Yeah, that was a really tearful movie. I forgot. Yeah, I mean, Russ Russ is no joke. He's no joke. I, I am curious though. Like, how come you gave me an alligator and not an ant? I don't know. Like, I just, like what? It just it, it just felt right, John. Okay. Weird. Well. I feel like I got gypped on that one. Yeah. Well, in in past episodes, we've talked about fighting wolves, fighting bears, fighting deer. Yeah. I mean, we're just kind of going down the list of animals. Okay. I see. I see. Well, I like Russ Jr. Yeah. I mean, I think you made a case for him. No joke. And uh, and but like I don't know like maybe Russ Jr. and Benny are tied because it's hard to go against Benny because Benny was the best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and if you remember, most people don't remember this from the pool scene. And Sandlot, everything goes back to the pool scene. It's absolutely always, and they're all sitting there watching Wendy Peppercorn. And uh, I don't know if it was Squint or somebody else says, you know, she don't know what she's doing. And Benny is the only one that is immune to her because he's he's watching her like everybody else is, but he has this little line that nobody catches, and he says, "Yes, she does. She knows exactly what she's doing." <laughs> I mean, and how he cool is he? Well beyond his years. Well beyond his years. And then he faces off with the beast at the end. Yeah, yeah. That's like a that's like a legitimate chill scene for me. Like even now, like when he when he has the dream that he's got to go face the beast, and he puts on the special shoes, and he goes up to the wall, and then Smalls comes up to him and says, "Benny, you don't have to do this." And then Benny turns around and says, "Yeah, I do. Yeah, mm-hmm. I do." I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting a little choked up right now. Actually, it doesn't get any better than that. Like yeah. that's, I mean, that, I mean, that's good theater. I mean, can we also say maybe like a callback to maybe like even like an allegory to scripture, like where Benny is sacrificing himself for the sins of others? Wow. I mean, it I'm wasn't writing this stuff down. That, I'm writing this stuff down for Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't Benny's fault that the 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 ball is the, the valuable. Yankees signed baseball is 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 in the beast grasp, but he's sacrificing himself for the sins of Smalls. I mean, wow. we are Smalls, and Benny is Jesus. I, it's just got real here. It just got real. Do we need to take a break and you know, take just, an offering? Yeah, take take an offering. Maybe listen to some Stephen Curtis Chapman. Just kind of absolutely, absolutely, kind of bring it back down. Friends are friends forever. <laughs> oh, that's Michael W. Smith. That's well, I know. I, I kind of went there. Speaking <laughs> oh, you of just trolled me. You just trolled right, exactly. my <laughs> obsessive knowledge of CCM. Fun, sexy Bible time point to you. Yeah, I win. <laughs> uh, all right, so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on uh, was so that we could kind of take like a semi-serious turn and maybe talk a little bit about um, some of the, the scandals that are going on right now. Uh, in the church, and we don't we don't usually talk about serious stuff on Fun Sexy Bible Time, but uh, I thought we'd take a few minutes now because um, your book you, you had given me an advanced copy of your book a couple months ago, and I read it, and there was a um, there was a part in your book where you talked about um, one of the churches that you had been involved with in the past had a uh, an issue. Uh, of of sexual abuse, I mean, it's fair to just call that sexual abuse, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And um, you, as the pastor, had to kind of deal with this. Um, 
and I don't remember it exactly. I have to go back and, and read it, but um, basically the the guy came to you to confess this this sin, and it was a sin, but it was also you know breaking the law. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, in, in the book, you just talked about you know, stop me if I'm paraphrasing too much here, but you know, you're basically just saying, look, we we still love you, and we're going to help you any way we can, but. I mean, we got to go. <laughs> like, Absolutely. We got to, we got to get in the car right now and go to the police because, yeah. you know, if we don't, this is going to reflect, you know, we, we, we have, we just got to go. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And, well, uh, so you know, we had a legal obligation. I, I think um, I'm not sure if it's 24 hours or 48 hours, but we we have a a, a time frame. Once once um, anybody in the clergy or in the medical profession hears about um, any kind of abuse or sexual abuse, you have to you have to report it. Otherwise, you're now um, liable as well mm-hmm. um, in some some way. So yeah, it was a it was a very he was a leader in a church um, that we were serving in, and we had to escort him to the police station. Um, Why do you think that's so hard for some churches to do, and not just necessarily the initial report to the police, but just the aftermath of, of dealing with sexual abuse in the church? Why do you think that's so hard for some churches to handle? I mean, I think there's several things. I, I think the first is that um, is it's just simply too difficult. Um, we don't, we don't want to, um, we want to ask people to do difficult things, but we don't really want to do difficult things. Mm-hmm. And, and so, uh, as it relates to, you know, in particular taking somebody to the police station, um, doing something like that had the potential, which it did, had the potential to, um, reflect poorly on the church we we're serving in, had the potential to reflect poorly on the leadership. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it, you know, just because it, it's right, it's the right thing to do. And so, um, I, I don't, is it, is it to quote Spider-Man, you know, it, it, <laughs> something about great responsibility. Um, it, with, with, so this idea of like, we, we doing difficult things, just, it requires the, this, uh, counting the cost. And so I don't think, I don't think churches really want to do that. This is why. Churches don't ever rarely practice church discipline. This is why churches rarely, um, if ever, have real um, confrontational conversations with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd rather uh, them leave the church, or we'd rather them, um, you know, continue in their sin because it's a, it's a, it's a, it, it it causes difficult conversations to happen in our own life, and we just don't want that to happen. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff. I have a I have a theory about this. I'm gonna bounce it off you and see what you think. Um, Growing up in the church in the 80s and 90s, one of the things I, I remember was sort of when you came through the 90s, this this whole narrative emerged of, oh, well, the church just shoots its wounded. Yeah. And that became like sort of a rallying cry of, of people who are criticizing the church, um, you know, in some cases justified. Um, but I think that that really had an impact on what has become a church leadership of today is that is that nobody wants to be seen as the church that quote unquote shoots its wounded. Yeah. And I, I think that residue is still very strong. And I think sometimes people will err on the side of non-confrontation just because they want to be seen as welcoming and forgiving and, and, and things like that. Um, yeah. And I think, I think there's two things happening. I think one is, um, and I, not to quote my, myself, but in the book, but the, <laughs> Uh, but I will, okay? Just a shameless plug. But um, the the idea that we 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 want to have language that looks mature and sounds mature, but we don't really want to have maturity, and 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 so we sort of assume that 
mature language equals mature behavior, uh-huh. which is just not true. And so I, I think how that works out is um, people don't, and, and I think just people in general, people that go to church, people that are Christians that, that would at least call themselves disciples. I think at the end of the day, there is this, I would say misunderstanding, but it's really no understanding that to really walk deeply with people requires discipline. It requires um, hard conversations. It requires, um, you know, even, even uh, gentle rebukes. Uh, I I just don't know. I don't have any real um, deep relationships that that's not an element where Mm -hmm. um, my wife from time to time corrects me, my wife from time to time. And it's usually my wife, but um, (laughs) even people I work with that are on staff at our church, that they have permission to speak into my life because they have access and they they have equity in my life, and I think there's this idea that that um, you know our lives are off limits for other people, and that's just not true. That's just not that's that's not what we see in the narrative of the New Testament. There mm-hmm. there there is a depth that is not just required, but it's it's intrinsic. It's predicated on our relationship with Jesus and other people. Yeah. And it just seems like, I mean, I totally agree with what, what you just said. It seems like this and so many other things in Christianity, it's almost like a continuum and you have extremes on both sides. And it's just a matter of trying to keep it balanced because, you know, on the one hand, you've got people who don't want to confront anybody about anything. And on the, on the other end of the extreme, you've got, you know, like the churches where everybody's way too judgmental. And, and then you've got like the, the crazy people like, um, you know, like the Wayne Jolly thing where like the pastor has control over every, you know, every element of the person's life. Absolutely. You just got to, it seems like there's so many things in Christianity like that, that, you know, you just have to kind of find a balance, which Mm. is really, (laughs) that's the trick, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Yeah. I, I, you know, with the the whole thing about CJ Mahaney and, uh, you know, we talked about this before we went on the air about, you know, what, nobody seems to know exactly what his role in that, that whole situation was, but it definitely made me think of, um, you know, that, that section of your book when you were talking about, um, dealing with somebody immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting too, that so, so many of the scandals now are, um, and I have a reformed bent in my, in terms of my theology, but I think it's interesting that the majority of the scandals now are happening with guys that are reformed Mm-hmm. In contrast, I know we talked about this before earlier, but the the um, off off air, but the the majority of the scandals that happened in the seventies and eighties, maybe even early nineties, were were then more like charismatic guys. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And, I, and so I'm curious, like, why do you why do you think that is? Like, what what's the? I'm curious why why the shift? Why the majority of the scandals happening from this side of the theological bent in I, contrast to the other? I don't have a great answer for that, but it's definitely something I've thought about too because. Um, you know, you're right. You're, you're totally right. Because in the, you know, we had that big wave of scandals with, you know, Jim Baker and Jimmy Swaggart and, uh, you know, all those guys. And those were, I mean, that was sort of charismatic assemblies of God, Pentecostal. That was that, that wheelhouse coming from there. And then, yeah. um, then uh, <laughs> at his strange fire conference, John MacArthur gave his immortal speech where he, <laughs> Where he announced that scandals were the product of charismatic theology and that, and that reform <laughs> leaders don't have scandals. Exactly. And exactly. That sort of opened the floodgates to. And I, you know, I just wonder, and because I, I read a lot of these these reform guys, and, and lo- as, as well as with charismatic guys, but the um, 
I wonder if so much of it is rooted in um, it's it's just this deep knowledge, this deep pride. Like it's this kind of this hubris of like we've got this thing figured out, and so we would we're never really going to be we're never going to put ourselves in a position to fall. And um, it's just so funny because, and of course that's what the scripture says: like knowledge puffs up. And I just wonder if that's not 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 that knowledge is the is the antagonist here but i wonder if that's really what's going on with some of these guys um in contrast i think the guys like baker and, and those other guys it was more just kind of cult of personality that got him in trouble yeah. um uh, and we, we've talked a little bit about this before in, in, in other podcasts just how the different theologies approach christianity that you know in the reformed tradition it's a more of an emphasis on theology and uh you know and there are many inside sometimes it's more you know, you downplay the theology and focus more on getting out there and, and, you know, outreach. Yeah. Um, but you know, it, it, I guess the easy answer is just, you know, it's, I mean, it's sin, pride. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and that transcends any, any theology except for mine, obviously. I am. <laughs> well, I was going to say that, of course. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah. Which is going to lead to a difficult conversation. Speaking of difficult conversations. So, <laughs> I, I, well, the name of the podcast is Fun Sexy Bible Time. I don't know why anybody would have a problem with me. I don't know either. <laughs> I can't wait to start spreading this around. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, another thing, too, is that I, I wonder about, like, how social media affects scandals in Christianity, too. Um, that was actually John MacArthur calling you, right? There. Absolutely. He heard the podcast. <laughs> he is really really upset with me he sensed the disturbance in the he's, force well he's my accountability partner um as it relates boy. to my my words yeah. and so he uh he he sensed it boy that would be a that would be a rough accountability partner it would it would he just well. he'd come up you know, like i heard a rumor that you listened to a secular <laughs> song on the radio oh that'd be great <laughs> yeah i mean i wonder too like if if social media plays a role in this that um you know, like in the, it's hard for me to imagine that some of the bigger scandals, you know, could have existed in the age of social media, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think social media in some ways kind of keeps the more ridiculous Christian leaders like Benny Hinn and, uh, you know, like Robert Tilton and some of the guys that are just kind of out there. Yeah. Like Creflo Dollar, even like if it sort of like just kind of keeps them on the peripheral. Because it's just yeah. hard for me to imagine that like Baker and Swagger could have gotten so big doing all that stuff in the age of Twitter. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I, it, it, unfortunately, people love sensationalism, and I don't know if it's unfortunate or not, but we love it. We love to we love to read the dirt. We love to to stay up to date. Um, and and yet it's so funny. I was even I was reading about the Darren Patrick thing, which is heartbreaking because I I really like Darren Patrick. I like the stuff that he's produced. But um, even reading the statement from his elders, and it's so sober. Um, and yet, how how many responses like on Facebook and Twitter from that really sober response of his elders of like we're taking him kind of out of play because his pride and his, you know, he's sort of anchored into his own image. You know, he, he's kind of believed his own press. And I feel like that was a really reasonable, a reasonable 
thing that the elders wrote. And yet, man, so much is being written about that. Like how dare they and sensationalizing even that thing that's not sensational. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, that's how hungry we are for, you know, a story. Yeah. I'm just, uh, I'm just glad that he had accountability in place that could, that could do that. Yeah. Um, Because it seems like a lot of these guys, you know, have set things up to where there's no accountability for them. Yeah. And even like, I've read that like Driscoll's new church, um, like, <laughs> I know this is going to shock you, but like not really any accountability. in place. I can't believe that. that. Are you serious? <laughs> wow. He didn't join X 29. I can't believe that. Uh, no, but Darren Patrick was the one that kind of forced. Driscoll yeah. He was on the X-29. board. Exactly. He was on the board that, that kind of pushed, pushed uh, Driscoll out. Mm. Yeah, it's so crazy that you know, so crazy that I'm the only one that can interpret the Bible correctly. I'm sure you feel the same way. I do feel like you're the only one that can interpret <laughs> correct. That's why I send my notes to you every week, Matt. What, how am I doing here? Is this a, is this an appropriate hermeneutic of Leviticus 22? Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and end on a high note. I mean, not to not to talking about downfall of major. Christian leaders is not a high note, but uh, let me throw one more topic at you before we jet out of here. Okay. John Quitt, noted theologian, leader of American Christianity. Will we be naked in heaven? You know, I think that's a difficult question. I think when you, when you, uh, you read first Corinthians 15 about the new body, you know, we're going to have new bodies, but we're going to be able to recognize each other. I, I, I don't think we're going to be naked. Um, I think we are going to have, maybe a robe, some kind of angelic robe. But here's the, here's the catch. I don't think we're going to have underwear on because mm. I think one, you know, the curse is going to be lifted once we get to heaven, like no curse. And one of the curses is, is sweat, right? And so just kind of follow the, the stream of logic. I the really reason thought you were going to say farts. Well, I, I don't know. I, I don't think that's part of the curse personally, <laughs> but, um, but that's just one man's opinion. I, but I think, you know, underwear, one of the reasons we wear underwear is because it's a, they're sweat catchers. I don't know if you realize that, especially living in the South. Like it's, it gets really hot here. We need something to, to be a barrier between, you know, my, my legs and everything else in between. I feel like there's and, like a pastor point coming here. And my and my khaki pants, like I don't want my khaki pants getting sweaty, mm-hmm. and so we wear underwear. So there's not going to be any any sweat. I, I don't. It's funny. Like, are we going to have sweat glands in heaven? That maybe is the real question here. I, well, what we know from our theology, from uh, the theologians Audio Adrenaline with their yes. song "Big House," yeah, yeah, we do know that there will be football in heaven. Whew. That's a good point. That's a good, good point. So I don't know if we can play football in robes. I would almost, if we have heavenly bodies, it seems like it'd almost be easier to play f- to play football naked than it would be to play it in a robe, just to be honest with you. I mean, have you ever played football? I mean, I'm just, I'm just curious. Just so, like, you get tackled and you're not wearing anything. I'm just saying, like, does that mean there's no pain in heaven? No, I don't know. These are the no, questions no that I need jab, No jab to the crotch in heaven? Like, I don't know. It just feels like... And will there be co-ed naked football in heaven? Well, there's not going to be marriage in heaven, so I don't think that's going to be an issue. I, I think, I think you know, all, all of that sort of passes away. So yeah. um, I'm still going to feel weird about... Yeah, that's, I mean, how... It's going to make tackling awkward. Let's just put it that way. But but I do have a kind of a 
a creationist theology. So I, I think to answer your question now, as I'm thinking about it, I think we will be naked in heaven because they were naked in the garden. Mm -hmm. And so it just makes sense that, that we're going to be naked in heaven. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that's, I, that's my, that's my stand eternalized on, on this podcast. Do you think we'll have to shave in heaven? Gosh, I hope not. Cause I'm pretty hairy. Yeah. And I just don't, it's not something I enjoy, especially if I have to manscape, you mm -hmm. know, um, I don't want to do that. And yeah. so I think maybe we're all going to have really like Joel Olstein bodies, not like really strong, but we'll look strong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like even, well, I guess it depends on the gravity too, like the gravity situation, because I feel oh. like if, if, the, if depending on the gravity situation, I feel like we might have to break out some, um, jock straps and, and sports bras for the football because there's just gonna be a lot of moving parts there's a lot going on there absolutely well and according to c.s lewis man we're gonna spend eternity exploring the new earth and mm. so like you know can you really explore is that where the football is gonna be maybe not maybe. in the streets of new jerusalem and you know here's the thing like we're gonna we're going to eat in heaven, I think, because Jesus, in his new body, when he showed up to the disciples, he asked for fish, so he ate. Well, we know that anyway from audio adrenaline, because there's going to be a, a big, big table with lots and That's lots of true. food. That's true. That is true. There's a banquet table. I forgot about that. Um, but my, my short answer is, yes, I think we're naked in heaven. Okay. So, But I hope most of the women are blind in heaven, <laughs> just for my sake. <laughs> Oh, he's being modest. He's bringing. He's it's a callback to his book. Well, twelve ninety nine on Amazon. <laughs> John Quit. We will have you back on when the um, when the book gets a little closer to coming out. Hey, thanks so much. We'll, uh, we'll let you uh, pitch the book in a in in a larger way. Great, I appreciate that. Uh, I want you to tell the people where they can uh, tell people where they can find your sermons. I will vouch for your sermons. Hey, thanks. Uh, so you can go to our website, TuscaloosaVineyard.com, or you can go to iTunes and type in Tuscaloosa Vineyard, and uh, you can find our latest sermon. So please do it. Very good. And you're on Twitter at, was it, John Quit? Just John Quit, J-O-N-Q-U-I-T-T. -T. And I'm, I'm tweeting the, the – well, they're not very funny. I, I Man, I wish, I wish I was funny, like <laughs> – like you um but they're usually just like bible tweets and tweets about my kids so you probably don't want to follow me start um start tweeting out baptist jokes you'll get some i know i need to take tweets i know I, I will i'll get a lot of unfollows mm, delicious <laughs> all right john thank you for being with us today on fun sexy bible time thanks so much crazy that you know so crazy that i'm the only one that can interpret the bible correctly i'm sure you feel the same way i do feel like you're the only one that can interpret <laughs> correct <laughs>